What's up, hysterical people? I'm Pamela Torrance, the creator of the Hysterical Society blog, and now this is my podcast. So just to give you a little bit more of a kind of behind the scenes of the, the filming timeline, I set out in my car from Los Angeles June 16th, and I arrived back home, I think, on either July 2nd or July 3rd. It was about two and a half weeks where I basically drove from in the southwestern United States and spent the most time in both Tulsa and Dallas on that trip. I was home for almost the entire month of July, but the Women's March decided that they were going to be putting on an, a convention in Houston in August. I had already decided that I wanted to have a big build for the end with the title of my film, We're Not Going Back. I had several of the subjects um, that were in the film say we're not going back so that I could include that as part of the finale. But I really wanted an army. I wanted an army, a massive number of people that were mad about this to be part of that and to really build into a huge number of people almost like shouting at the audience, we're not going back. And that was kind of my inspiration there. I had a booth at the convention and I had people, I had my green screen, and then I had people coming and... You know, if you wanted to be in a pro-choice documentary, come sit down and I'll film you. And then that's how I got all those clips for the finale. It was a wonderful, inspiring event. We're not going back. When I was in Tulsa, I was referred to somebody who was part of the Rage team out of Oklahoma City. And I wasn't planning to go to Oklahoma City, and I was following them on Facebook, and they were literally setting up these photo shoots all over different parts of Oklahoma, able to capture folks that didn't, you know, that lived in the rural areas so that they could be part of it. And then um, they had scheduled the reception to kind of have the big unveiling of the project and with all of the images. Um, and that reception was the weekend before. The women's convention and I was like oh gosh I should just go this time I flew into Oklahoma City and then went to the reception rented a car and then uh, drove down to Houston um, for the following weekend for the women's convention so that was my second leg of the trip here's a little clip from the rage segment in the film when we rage we rage around the fires where our mothers smelted the bones of their backs and kitchens built of bricks and sticks and stones stuck in their pretty little necks where they stewed their souls in mixing bowls full of fury and the frosting of cakes. When we rage, we grind our gears through a supreme ink dark night on a one-way ticket to a better state of being where our bodies are not public housing, where we grind our teeth against the buzzing of the flies that swarm the stitches of our mouths sewn shut. When we rage, we hiss like the million serpents that made Medusa's bitchin' braid when she was stone-cold banished, banished pregnant by Senator Poseidon, punished for pissing off the powers in their ivory Olympic towers. 
their rotundas, their dogs. Yeah, it all came together. By the time I got home, I almost had too much footage. I mean, I really had to make some judicious cuts. Um, there are two of my friends here from Los Angeles who ended up not making it into the film because I had too much other good stuff from Red States and wanted to make sure that I captured those. You know, obviously, we love our state, California, when it comes to reproductive rights. We protected it. We voted it into law. We were one of the five states in November of last year that voted um, to protect reproductive rights. And we, so California's voted yes to put it in our state constitution. So, um, so no matter what happens, come to California if you do need some help, because we can help you here. For the Awareness Film Festival, uh, my film premiered on the last day, which was October 16th. And then attending the awards ceremony that night, I was just so honored to be uh, given the Emerging Filmmaker Award. And that was really, really exciting. Um, since then, the film has won a few other awards. I did about six months of film festivals. I'm pretty, pretty proud of it. Um, but it was a little bit too long, and I had extra kind of fat, if you will. So I trimmed some of the fat and just, just tightened it up quite substantially for this latest edit. So that now you can watch it in 50 minutes, less than 50 minutes. So I do encourage you to check it out on YouTube. Um, to watch the whole film, or obviously you're getting a little bit of some of the highlights from listening to this podcast episode. So let's talk about the Roe origin story. So I'd like to say that I was knowledgeable about Roe v. Wade, and I'm some expert, and that I knew that Roe v. Wade had come out of Dallas the entire time, and that that was, I targeted Dallas because of that, and I knew that that was a good place to be. Um, I wish I could say that, but that's not true. It was totally coincidental and fortuitous that the folks in Tulsa referred me to Dallas, mainly because of Daniel Cantor, the pastor. And then when I went to the service, when I arrived there, it was literally the first service after Roe Wade had been overturned. Um, unfortunately, Daniel was not there. He was out of town picking up his son or something from college, and... So I didn't get to meet him, but I, I met so many amazing people there. And just talking with folks and telling, you know, I, I wear my shirt that says, he who hath not a uterus should STFU, and it's kind of a fake Bible verse. So the folks at the progressive churches, they just loved it. They all wanted uh, to figure out where I got the shirt, etc. So it was a big hit. It definitely was a conversation starter. Um... And so I met all these great people who, once they found out I was doing this film, they were so appreciative and happy that somebody was capturing this moment. And so that was really inspiring and also um, lucky that I got to meet the current head of the Women's Alliance. Basically, she said, did you know that we have one of the original row people from the committee? Is The only one who's still alive is right here in town and is part of our alliance, Women's Alliance, still. And I was like, oh my god. So anyway, that was one of the reasons why I stayed in Dallas, so I could hook up with her after a few days. And that was so wonderful to hear a little bit more about the history of progressive politics in Texas, which does exist, believe it or not. And um, Ann Richards, of course, was one of their idols and icons. And anyway, it was just a 
She was just a joy, a gem. She's 90 years old. I really enjoyed spending time with her. So much so that when I went back and I was driving from Oklahoma City to Houston, I went right through Dallas so that I could visit her again and get a little bit more soaking up the icon. I mean, she was such an inspiration and still is. And here's a little glimpse into the Roe origin story. First Unitarian Church of Dallas is important in this whole thing. This is where the Roe v. Wade case began. The women of this church were studying the issue of abortion. They weren't all on the same page about the procedure, but they ended up on the same page about having agency over your body. A couple of our leaders in the Women's Alliance, the First Unitarian Church of Dallas, came back from a Women's Federation meeting saying, we need to look into this. They're asking us to study the issue. This would be 1969. So the next spring, we had a four-session study group. We talked it over, and we had gone from, well, maybe the law in Texas wasn't too bad, to we've got to get rid of this law. I wrote the first amicus brief. I have it here. It says, uh, District Court, May 5th, 1970. A woman has a fundamental right to decide when to bear a child. Nothing influences the quality of a woman's life more than her responsibility to bear and raise children. Her health, welfare, and personal dignity are dependent on her ability to control how and many children she has. And they go on. This is two pages of, of an amicus brief in which they sat in the courtroom uh, in support of this right. There was a lot of organizing uh, done in, in Dallas first and then throughout the state. So I, I did know one person in Tulsa before I went there, um, and I reached out to them. They um, connected me with some of the younger folks that were, are in the film. In order to thank her, I took her to a really nice lunch at an amazing Native, um, Native American cuisine restaurant, which I highly recommend if you're in Tulsa. It's called NATV, Native. We're talking about the topic and the abortion issue and the film, etc. And honestly, I think, of course, I was talking loudly. So the waiting staff was just kind of hanging around. You know, they, they had overheard a little bit of our conversation. And one of them was Jen. Jen, who never had an abortion, probably never would. She's very religious. But as she, I think she was listening to our conversation and talking about how harrowing life will be in, you know, in these red states with all these restrictions. And, and she just kind of spoke up and said, would you be interested in the perspective of someone who has seven children and didn't have an abortion? And if you look at her... You know, she looks like she's barely old enough to not be a child herself. I mean, she's she looks very young. She's in her 30s. But yeah, she popped out seven kids very quickly because her religion doesn't believe in birth control. Being part of the quiverful religion, which is the same religion as the Duggars, you know, 19 kids and counting or however many they have now. Um, so it's a very kind of conservative religion that really puts the, the men in charge and the women are just baby factories. So, yeah, it's kind of the way I think many Republican men would like us to go back to in this country. But guess what? We're not going to. 
we're not going back. Here's a little peek at what Jen had to say. The more people that I have met who have had to make decisions in, during really extreme and hard circumstances in their life, um, the more compassion I have for the ability for everyone to have the options that they need to make those decisions. Um, because even if it's a choice that ultimately I didn't end up making and maybe wouldn't ever even make, I still want other people to have the ability to make those decisions and my love and support in them. I mean, this is a big issue. So anyway, that's what happened with Jen. It was, again, another kind of lucky find to get somebody who had that religious perspective. So I mentioned that I did kind of struggle to recruit successfully some of the folks from the BIPOC community. Uh, so Busy was um, one of the staff at the Women's Convention in Houston. And I was kind of chatting with her about my struggle, trying to understand a little bit more why. Here's a little clip from what she shared for the film. I was born in 1965, was born the year of the burn, baby burn year, uh, born and, and raised on the Black Power Movement, and growing up as a little girl in the 70s, learning about Roe versus Wade, seeing it on television, not having a right to my body. Now a mother at 57 years old with a daughter 16 and a daughter 11 who's gonna be 12. The idea that I would have more rights to my body and my daughters in 2022 do not have the right to their bodies to do what they choose. Um, and, and, and being a descendant of people of African descent that this country was built off of the weight of my ancestors. The fact that this country, when we talk about sexual assault and sexual trafficking, the first bodies that were sexually abused and sex trafficked were my ancestors. And then the land of the indigenous people who were then land taken from them and then they were sexually assaulted on their land. And then we're being told that, okay, so if one is um, a survivor of sexual assault, sexual trafficking. In 2022, they can't get an abortion. It's a lot of nonsense, a lot of BS. And it's, it's, and it's been a long time for change. And I, we are the change. We have to be the change. And the change takes work. It takes work. So be a verb. I also ch chatted with the Black Feminist Future folks, and I learned that I was maybe alienating some black women because I was using, um, or I had available, I wasn't prominently pushing it down anyone's throat, but I had available a, a Handmaid's Tale costume in the booth if people wanted to put it on and wear it when they did their little, we're not going back uh, filming. And a few people said yes, and they did, but several people said no. And then once I spoke to, um, one of the black feminists, uh, I, I learned. I learned what I probably should have already known, and so that's my bad, um, that, of course, the Handmaid's Tale story and then, therefore, the costume um, kind of is triggering, I guess, for black women because, in a way, this dystopian future that white women are worried about was really black women's past. They experienced uh, slavery, of course, and... A lot of times it was rape and, you know, give the baby to the 
to the white woman so she can raise it. And, you know, I mean, it, there was a lot of that that they suffered through during slavery. And that was one of the reasons why I think that the Handmaid's Tale costume is sort of triggering and therefore maybe was hindering my ability to build trust with this population when I was out there. As a matter of fact, when I was in Fort Worth, I was wearing the costume myself. I'm now sort of embarrassed to admit that, knowing what I know. But at the time, I didn't know. And I, I mean, it was 100 degree weather, but I put that darn thing on and I ran around kind of acting like a clown, I guess, because I was mad and trying to stir things up. But yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. So now, so live and learn. Um, but again, this is where I want to, I want to make it right and do the right thing by the BIPOC communities and other oppressed communities like LGBT, QIA plus. And so, yeah, so I'm trying. Um, and again, I'm not an expert, but I'm, uh, hopefully we'll be able to bring in the right experts to help have very vigorous and educational dialogue about some of these topics. I'm going to go there and I want to learn myself and I hope that you can learn with me as you follow along with these podcast episodes. So thank you very much. Yeah, Kit was great. I met them at the Fort Worth rally as well and learned that they were non-binary and that's one of the reasons why we decided that I needed that voice or that perspective to be included in my film and we filmed I think the next day. So Here's a little snippet from that testimonial. You know, I'm, I'm not a woman, but I have all the parts that women do. You know, I'm still lumped in with women. I am still the kind of person that the right is trying to control. I heard the news and I went out in the streets to do what I could to help. And I didn't stop to think about what this means for my child and for her future that she won't have the choice that I had. Kit was great and gosh, what a wonderful parent to their daughter and just worried about everybody. Yeah, another area that I was ignorant of, I mean, I guess I knew about it, but I didn't have really thought about it because it wasn't my own experience, was medical abortion. So I was really glad to have met MJ, who is young, in her 20s, and she had, at the time, I think just, you know, six months prior, um, had a medical abortion. She highlights some of the concerns because, of course, depending on where the medication comes from, it might take a long time to be shipped. She was deep into COVID, so she experienced some delays that really, you know, made her worry about being within the window. So it's not, it's not the perfect answer, but it is an option. Um, and honestly, that was the really one of the first times that I had kind of fully appreciated that medical abortion is so wonderful and easy and important. Here's a little preview of that testimonial. I went to aidaccess.org and provided my uh, driver's license photo, uh, other information about when my last period was, how far along I had thought I was, and paid 120 US dollars to have medication shipped from uh, India to take at my home. There were instructions that were sent to me that were very clear on which pills to take at what time, um, possible side effects that I might would feel, and etc. I probably waited 
six weeks to get my uh, pills in the mail. And of course, I only found out that I was pregnant anywhere from four to six weeks because you have to wait a full four weeks or 28 days for your next cycle to show up before you ever even know you're late. Getting very close to having to have a surgical abortion and having to pay $900 to $1,100 for an abortion at a time when I had no job, no upcoming interviews, no money coming in. And then, of course, now we know, you know, earlier this year in 2023, um, the stupid judge in Amarillo, and I guess now we're going to have to probably have it go all back, all the way back up to the Supreme Court. Great. We love them. You know, the idea that medical abortion might also be restricted or the medication, mifepristone, might be banned. And just a little side note here. That idea is so... Ah, so ridiculous that, you know, my old job that I had was I sold clinical trials to the pharmaceutical development industry. So the idea that the FDA could be overruled by some dude who's a judge who has no medical background, one dude in Amarillo, Texas, no way. Um, yeah, let's, let's pull the approval for Viagra, why don't we, you know, while we're at it. Um, the idea that you could reverse the FDA's approval for, for a drug that has been on the market for over 20 years is so insane. I guess it's as insane as stripping reproductive rights from women who had them for over 50 or almost 50 years. So, yeah, they're insane, these people who are trying to control us. And so we're not going to let that happen. We're going to band together. We're going to be educated, we're going to become experts on everything, and we're going to organize, we're going to vote, we're going to get our friends to vote. We're basically going to take our freedom back in the United States. Yeah, it was kind of an amazing, serendipitous um, production timeline, knowing, I think my deadline was September 8th, to actually submit the film on the very last day that I could to the Awareness Film Festival. So while I was in Houston, I had a little bit of downtime between the two weekends, and I ended up in Houston for extra days. And that's when I shopped around or, or recruited uh, my editor. I met Averill Avi, we call him for short, um, just by posting on Alignable, which is a small business platform for connection, connectivity. And I did several interviews, but Avi was just wonderful. He was great. You know, honestly, I was so desperate that the fact that he was willing to commit to my timeline was really one of the main reasons why he, he was hired. I got really lucky because he was really, really good. And it could have gone belly up at that point. He was great, and he really made sense out of all the footage that I had. I just sort of dumped all the footage on this drive and shipped it to him, and, and then I just trusted that he was going to be able to make a film. And I was just so impressed with what he came up with and how he was able to fix, you know, all of the kind of crazy stuff that I had given him. So that was really, really wonderful. He was by far the most expensive thing in the film, but he was totally worth it. Avi Kapoor from Vita Films out of Connecticut. Highly recommend. Other than that, it was a one-woman show. Me. I'm proud that we were able to not only film the film and do the edit in time to make it in that awareness film festival but the fact that it's gotten awards you know three main awards 
the interesting thing is that I did try to sell it at the American Film Market, which was in November, and I thought, you know, it's a hot topic. I thought it would be pretty easy to sell. The, you know, I didn't sell it, and I guess I learned the reason why was that, number one, it's political. And all the streaming services, Netflix, Hulu, all those guys, they don't want to touch anything too political. Unless it has somebody famous in it. My film's political, no famous people. So I had those two black marks against me. And, you know, I learned that. It was good. It was a good experience to go to the American film market and see. But in a way, it's like, what's up? This is supposed to be for all the independent filmmakers out there. That's me. So what am I? I need to play outside of that because I've got both political and no famous people. So, okay. I mean, like in New York, they have off-Broadway and then off-off-Broadway for, like, plays. So I guess that's what I'm doing. I'm indie-indie. Because I'm doubling down on the politics. I am not going to just lay back and make some romance that has no controversial things in it. I'd rather go independent. That's why I'm doing the podcast. I got the blog. I'm cultivating, hopefully, a society if you guys join in um, with my Facebook group and, you know, other social media platforms. Um, YouTube, you know, please comment. Please engage. Please invite your friends. And let's make this happen. We gotta, we've got, you know, a little more than a year before 2024. And we've got a lot of time and a good runway that we can build a coalition that will really be so loud and, you know, push back during the election and, and even other times as well. Yeah, I did. I, you know, I quit my real job on, it was around May 15th or something like that. Um, so I, my last day of real job work was June 1st of 2022. I hit the road on June 16th, just a few weeks later, to make start making this film. And the film is now going to be posted. The podcast will hopefully bring new life to some of the stories within the film. Um, I also will engage on new interesting topics that I care about that's part of the feminist lane, if you will. Um, in addition to reproductive rights, which is obviously my number one goal to talk about and provide awareness, um, but I, I do, I am really worried about especially the trans folks and the um, transgender medical, you know, some of the same people that are putting abortion restriction laws, they're also coming after the trans folks, so I, you know, I'm going to try and educate myself and hopefully you um, on these types of topics. Um, and as I mentioned, the black, um, especially the BIPOC, um, black and brown folks, you know, especially now, they're, they're in the struggle even deeper than anybody. So with respect to reproductive rights, but also other types of just, just basic respect of their existence. Um, so yeah, there's a lot. Um, so it's all kind of anti-patriarchy, you could argue. <laughs> But there's a lot to cover, and I do hope this podcast will um, help engage and provide awareness and shine a light on some of these issues if you didn't already know about them. And those of you who do already know about them and have something additional to share, please reach out. I would love to have you on a future episode of the podcast and, you know, help me become aware so that I can 
cultivate this society and we can really make progress or reverse the anti-progress that we've now already experienced with respect to reproductive rights. All right, that's it for this podcast episode. So make sure you stay hysterical and keep fighting because we're not going back ever. We are the universe, so beautiful.